Hi, this is Dr. John Townsend, and you're listening to Life Giver. Welcome to the Life Giver Marriage Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope for your military or first responder marriage. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and I'm honored to share this journey with you. Close your eyes for a minute if you want to see the world. My name is Carol Tunney. I participated in the uh, Military Spouse Wellness Summit. It really, really was so refreshing to find some place to like feel at home. Many of these Vietnam vets, they're still trying to come home and the spouses are right along with them. They're at war and we're with them. Really felt good to be among the military wives. So God bless you all and what you do for our uh, military families and everybody. All right, so Dr. Townsend, thank you so much for joining us for the Military Spouse Wellness Summit 2016. Really, I am just so honored that you would give us some of your time to talk with us today. Um, Today's theme is really a lot about how do we keep our relationships healthy? How do we protect our marriages? And you are really well known for your Boundaries series that you co-wrote with Dr. Henry Cloud. And I know as a clinician, I have recommended those books. It's a whole series of books to so many of our families. Um, who are trying to figure out how do I make my marriage stronger? How do boundaries play a role in that? Um, That series um, started with boundaries, when to say yes, when to say no, to take control of your life. And I just want to put out there that there's also a workbook that goes along with that for those that want to take that material and dive a little bit deeper and apply it into their life. And then you've also expanded that into other successful books in the Boundaries series, including Boundaries in Marriage, Boundaries in Dating. You even have one in Parenting. You have (laughs) Boundaries for Leadership. You just have just an amazing series on that. Your latest book is called the entitlement cure and we're going to get into that as well today Um, so i'm just so excited that you're here to share with us your wisdom on how we can strengthen our marriages how we can apply some of these principles to our marriages so thank you so much for joining us thanks Corey. yeah so let's jump in so boundaries are a huge deal for protecting our relationships keeping our marriages strong and a lot of people when they first hear that when they first hear that boundaries are important in marriage i sometimes get this look on their faces that say that's that seems like strange information foreign information that as a married couple we should be sharing everything sharing our thoughts sharing our hobbies sharing everything and so the idea of kind of having a boundary in between a husband and wife can sound strange to some people Um, i'm sure you've run into that with other conversations so can you expand just a little bit on the importance of boundaries in a healthy relationship Absolutely. And it's a question that comes up. And I mean, the the first answer is kind of a metaphor of, so you want your uh, property line in your home to be erased and your property is your neighbor's property and vice versa. No, I want to be able to mow my grass and not mow his grass. Well, (laughs) that's, that's a boundary. In marriage, the reason it's important is because you really can't love somebody until you're both free to make choices. And people that say, no, we've got to agree on everything. It's everything is shared. They kind of like miss the fact that every healthy marriage is there's the us and then there's the me and there's the you. And I have thoughts and feelings and habits and opinions that you don't have. No, they're not bad. They're just different. I like opera and you like rock um, or I'm an introvert and you're an extrovert or whatever. And so there's the things we have in common. 
then there's me and my my opinion and my feelings and you and your opinion and your feelings. Those make the best marriages. So you you got to be free to go back and forth between the we and the I. That's what makes great marriages. What have you found from couples of why it's sometimes hard to actually put those boundaries in place? What kind of obstacles do they run into when they try to implement that? Well, generally speaking, there are three challenges to setting healthy boundaries in marriage. The book that you reference, Boundaries in Marriage, talks about these. Is And, and number one is um, there, there's kind of three fears, really. One's a fear that I'll lose the relationship. If I say no to you or disagree with you or don't see it your way or have a tough conversation with you about you know any of the elements of marriage, I mean, the, the big five elements of early marriages, for example, are money, children, in-laws, spirituality, and sexuality. And if I disagree with any of those five about how we spend money or raise the kids or in-laws or whatever, I'm afraid you'll pull away from me. So I'll just keep it mum. I'll keep it quiet, and I'll just hold my feelings inside and my opinion inside because I don't want to ruin the relationship. Second fear is the fear of being conflict avoidant. I don't like conflict. I, you know, I, I don't want anybody to be mad in my family. Well, problem is, in every good marriage, somebody's going to get angry sooner or later. That's just normal. But, but people who are what we call conflict avoidant, they'll basically just walk on eggshells around their spouse and, and in order to keep, keep the peace, but they're not really keeping the peace because they still have that issue inside. And the third one is um, guilt. And guilt is the, the sense that I don't want to hurt you or wound you or harm you by disagreeing or confronting something because I don't want to... I don't know, make you lose your momentum or lose your energy or deflate you or discourage you. And I don't want to hurt your feelings. So but my guilt says don't disagree. And then I end up sort of like never telling the truth. Those are the big thing, three things that couples have to work through. Is it also possible that we have to set boundaries with ourselves or within ourselves? Every time I want to have, you know, a double chocolate ice cream, I have to set a bath with myself. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we, we there's a part of us that says I need to have it all now, and it doesn't matter if I weigh 300 pounds or 160 pounds. And another part of us that's more adult, if you look at the neurology, one part is the limbic system that says feed me, feed me, and the other part is the executive part that says, wait a minute, you want to stay in shape and not get sick. So, yeah, you have to set lots of boundaries with ourselves. I think about that when you bring up the fears and you bring up um, guilt was the last one, and I know that a lot of our military families struggle with guilt because we're working so hard to reconnect with our spouse, especially if we've experienced a lot of military separations with them. And when they come home, we immediately want to find that reconnection. We want to figure out, you know, how have you changed? How have I changed? And there's a lot of guilt that comes into play of not wanting to upset the other person, especially in your, when you're in the middle of a reintegration and you're really desperately wanting to get that reconnection back. And I would say within 24 to 48 hours, a couple can begin to feel the stress of how do we navigate our roles again? Um, I don't want to have too much expectation for you, but the spouse might be feeling, wow, it's been a long, long time since I've had a break. I'm ready for you to step in as, as the fatherly role and take on more in the house. And he may not be quite ready to do that yet. So you can find couples kind of walking into some stress there within the first two days of that service member being home, trying to find a new normal. You know, when do we say, this is really bothering me? The rule of thumb is... Don't even go into boundaries until both people feel understood. So 
I miss you. Let's catch up. I just want to be with you. I want to connect with you. I just want to like talk to you about how you're doing and how much I, how, how much I love you and care about you. And when both people feel like they've got a little in their tummy, like okay, I feel really, I feel sort of back with you now. Then you go into more boundary situation. Otherwise, when people are, you know, especially in the military, when there's been so much distance, um, the brain can't really metabolize or digest the boundary issues of, well, let's spend money a different way or let's do something different with our parenting. The brain can't metabolize them because there's no attachment there. It's the attachment that allows you to digest and go, okay, they're they're being critical right now, but they're right about it. I, I still feel loved and cared for. But if it's sort of like, okay, you walk in the door and 30 minutes later, you want to tell me how to raise the kids, that's not going to fly. So both people have to say, all right, I feel I feel reconnected to you. We're, you know, we're caught up. And then one person says, okay, let me talk about some some things I want to address and change. Got to wait till that. I think that's a perfect answer. I think that that's um, something that a lot of our spouses need help um, knowing when to say what and knowing that that connection is so crucial first. I'm wondering if a lot of our military families struggle with too many boundaries. You know, our military spouses are often at home um, holding down the home front, managing kind of a single parent home. Service members are doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is they're focused on the mission and the mission comes first. Is it possible for a couple or a family to have too many boundaries? Yes, there certainly is such a thing as too many boundaries. The, the purpose of boundaries is to just do two things, really. One is it protects the relationship so that everybody feels like they can not only connect, but they can have choices. But the second thing it does is, is boundaries solve, solve problems and give structure. So, you know, you, there's got to be, you know, wake up time with the kids and then there's, you know, bath time and then there's date night and then there's sit down and pay bills and then just hang out with friends time. I mean, there are boundaries about a structure and you know, you've gone too far when one or two things happen. When one person feels like um, the boundaries are more important to you than our relationship, that's a problem because boundaries are support, supposed to support intimacy and, and love and closeness, not supposed to be the distraction. And the second is when people don't feel like they got any breathing room because there's too many rules. What would you encourage couples on how to know if they have too many boundaries? What are some red flags that would show up in their relationship? I would probably flip those two principles to a question and just have them sit down. I, I th I'm real big on couples doing a like a monthly state of the union conversation, like let's get away with the kids, get in a quiet place where it's a pleasant place, get a cup of coffee and say, you know, how, how are you we doing? How are you feel towards me? And here's how I feel towards you, because that's how you keep the marriage on track. And, uh, and, and if we flip those questions around during that conversation, it would be, do you feel like that our closeness and connection is supported by the boundaries, or do you feel like the boundaries are more important than connection? That's number one. And the second question would be, do you feel like that we have some breathing room in our daily and weekly structure, or do you feel like everything's so rigid we don't have room, room to breathe? And have the conversation back and forth, and you can get a lot of answers that way. One of the things that I love about the Boundary series is how much freedom it really does give a person when they're able to release the other person to taking responsibility for what they need to take responsibility for. And I found that when people do start implementing good, healthy boundaries, it's almost like they have more room to breathe. In your first section of the, of the book, you give this great example of a woman who just feels like her life has just become chaos. And over time, when she learns to set those boundaries by knowing what she's responsible 
responsible for versus what other people are responsible for. She experiences great freedom in that. Um, can you expand a little bit more on that? Because I think sometimes people who aren't familiar with the boundary series or the healthiness of applying boundaries to your life, it can sound like it's going to cause a lot of conflict in our relationship when really it sets you free. Most of the time, boundaries come to solve a problem. People don't wake up in the morning and say, hey, I want to have some boundaries. It's, you know, <laughs> it's just They want to have a good time with their family and their loved one and get things done. And so boundaries are about a problem. And so um, one spouse says to the other, I feel like we're not on the same page about finances or about our daily schedule. There's too much chaos or about us making sure we got time together or whatever. And I'd like to start setting some boundaries about that. Let's say it's finances. And one says, well, I just think, I think we ought to spend what we need to spend. I know you do. And I, and I want to have some margin for fun money, but you know, I'm really worried about the bank account. So can we have some ground rules about that? And it's that kind of conversation. So you're always putting in terms of this might help us to have some structure to solve a problem. The idea is it's not the boundaries just to be a control freak. It's because boundaries give us some continuity of life and they give us some predictability so that we can have a good time and care about each other. Well, and I think a lot of people are going to hear that and say, you know, there are some conversations that I'd like to have with my spouse, some adjustments that I would like to see in the relationship. How do you set healthy boundaries in a loving way if you do want to ask your spouse to make a change in their life? My time is spent with leadership now, executives who have the same kind of struggles the military does. And I have a model I work from, and it goes like this. First off is you express value. I want to talk about something serious, but, you know, I love you. I'm committed to you, and I love who we are and all that. So they feel like there's they don't get bashed. And secondly, to get right to it and say, I'm concerned about that. I don't like the way we disagree. You yell and I cry, or I don't like the way this is working. And then you, you the third thing is you go into vulnerability, and you say, and, and whatever I'm doing wrong in this thing between the parenting or the way we're fighting or our love life or – the money or whatever, I want to know what I'm doing that distances and alienates you too. So I'm not just blaming you. I'm, I'm talking about both of us. So now the person has heard value. They've heard, they know what the issue is. So they're not wondering. And they also know you're saying, gosh, tell me if I'm doing something wrong too. And then you go into the issue and say, I really like for you when you're mad or upset to use a kinder tone and maybe take a walk or something because the yelling and the, the you know the, the way we were, we were doing it escalates and it's, it's not good for me. So they know exactly where you want to go. Now, there are some people that would still say, well, you're mean for saying that or bringing that up. And then you have to say, well, and I, I found this a very, very, very helpful question, Corey, is when people say that, say, then your answer is, okay, I get it. I don't want to put you off in this. Um, you tell me. You tell me how I can tell you the truth so you feel okay with it. And now, instead of trying to read their mind and, you know, giving back rubs or trying to hope that you're saying words that don't trigger, you're making them responsible for how they hear the truth from you. Now, there are some people that will go, I don't want to hear the truth. Then you got to see a shrink because that's bad. But most people will say, well, you know, tell me something nice first or you don't use that tone of voice or whatever. But but go after that say, Honey, you know, we're going to be together 50 years. Tell me how I can tell you the truth that you don't react, and I'll be glad to do it. 
I love the way that you unpacked that for, for several reasons. One, I love the fact that you start off with the reason why I'm asking you, my spouse, to make a change in your life. And that is because I, I want our relationship stronger. There's something I'm wanting to be closer to you. And that's the big why behind why I'm asking for change to happen is that first I'm communicating the why of I want to be closer to you. I want to have our relationship be stronger and better. And I also love the fact that there's some ownership that that person is also taking. Say, what can I do better? Um, what part do I play in this? And that I'm open to making changes in my own life before we then go to our spouse and say, now this is something that's bothering me. So because I think it communicates the overall mission and goal that that couple hopefully is on the same page about, which is how do we stay together? How do we stay strong? And how do we stay connected? So a lot of our military spouses struggle with service members who might be overworking, bordering on workaholism because the mission often comes first, the military comes first, and some military spouses are afraid to ask their spouse to set healthy boundaries at work because of the mindset of military gets my spouse first, military comes first, and they don't know how to ask for that change in their life. Are there any other suggestions that you would say to maybe encouraging your spouse to set good, healthy boundaries at work? Yeah, there are a couple things that a spouse can do. Uh, one is to be vulnerable instead of uh, critical. In other words, you're never home. And I think you love the you know the military more than you love me. I don't even feel like you know that just doesn't get anybody anywhere. People just get defensive. But you come across vulnerable, which means I just want to tell you, I I miss you. I love being a team with you. I love what we're doing. But I I just miss our relationship. Vulnerability will give you a lot better results and give the person more courage to go to their boss and say, I need to make some changes. The second thing besides vulnerability is to talk about the fruit or effects of what the uh, workaholism is doing. For example, you know, the kids sort of like um, they're a little more out of control or Susie seems depressed or, you know, I feel like um, we get you here and then you, you're gone again to work and, and, and sort of like the whole family really needs you more. And so they begin to see, you know, we don't want to have a life headed towards our kids acting out, getting depressed, getting in trouble because you're not there. We want you to be, we know you've got a big job to do, but we need you to sort of be the gardener of the family that develops good fruit. So just go with the results. And so when you tell the spouse the results, a lot of times they go, Hey, I don't want another five years of this. I don't want a, a family where you and I are, dis, are, are detached and the kids aren't doing well. And so the fruit is a, is a strong argument. So one of the themes that I'm hearing from you is that being vulnerable ourselves when we're communicating with our spouse is really important. Absolutely. I mean, think about how it feels when somebody sort of just tries to make you a project. Well, you never do this. And why don't you do this? You know, all of us have an internal pushback to being to having a parent tell us what to do. We kind of go, wait a minute, I'm a grown up. So being vulnerable when somebody says, I just I don't know, I just feel a little helpless. Sometimes I feel like I'm maybe I'm not important. I feel like I'm alone or I feel like I'm a single parent. And I just miss you. You get a lot better results of vulnerability than you do somebody acting like a parent and nagging you. So, so well said. Um, Dr. Townsend, I would, I definitely want to get into your newest book on entitlement. So would you explain a little bit about what you found recently about entitlement and its impact in our culture right now? Yeah, I, um, 
I just did a lot of research over the past couple of years, Corey, on um, what I notice in various, I guess, institutions of life, like business and leadership, like the family, the families with minor children as well as families with adult children, um, government, um, churches, neighborhoods, just anything that's kind of organizationally involved. And there's, we have a disease in our, in our country and actually our world called entitlement. And so um, I found out that it's costing us billions of dollars with low work ethic, minimal work ethic, and also it's destroying marriages and parenting. And I also got a definition of it. I, I, after I studied it for a long time, I came up with two descriptions that sort of like they, they encompass everything about the attitude. One is um, uh, the first attitude is I'm not responsible for my impact on you. I can say what I want, do what I want, be flaky or whatever, we'll watch TV all day. And if you're upset by that, if you're my boss or my spouse or whatever, big deal. I'm not responsible for how I impact you. The second is that I deserve special treatment. Because I'm on the planet and I'm a nice person, I shouldn't have to wait in the back of the line at the water fountain. And when you put, I need to be treated special with, I'm not responsible for my impact, it's like kerosene to a flame. It just tears everything up. Do you think it's tough for us to realize if we have it in our own life and see it in ourselves? Oh my gosh. It, it's, our, it's our blind spot. Can I tell you a funny story about this? Absolutely. About All right, this will be my confessional time. Um, I talk about two kinds of entitlement in the book. There's global entitlement. That's just the person who's just a nightmare. It's always about them. They can't listen to anybody else. They always have excuses and just sort of like they're the earth. They're the sun. Everybody else is the earth. It's awful. But then there's pocket entitlement. And pocket entitlement is sort of like decent, nice people. You and I are nice people. But we have that little little thing inside of us that's our own special entitlement. And... um, when I was writing the book, I, uh, I fly a lot, and I'm in California, so sometimes when I have to go cross-country, say New York, I have to go through O'Hare Airport. And and so I was flying there on in a February. It was cold, and I got to O'Hare, and the weather's always bad in O'Hare in February. And so I got to my, my gate, and they said, oh, got a weather problem. you got to go to another gate. And I went, okay. So I got the other gate, and then the, uh, the announcement was, up. Oh, Another weather problem, got to go another gate. Well, I'm a road warrior. I get it. You know, I'm a professional. So I go to the other gate. The third time they say, oh, weather problem, you got to go through the next gate. And the gate is 15 minutes away and the plane's leaving in 10 minutes. Do the math. Mm. And so I'm just running with my luggage as fast as I can. And, and I'm doing my own little self-talk the whole time. And I'm going... Doesn't O'Hare understand? I've got to help a lot of people in Manhattan. They really need my corporate help. And I stopped and I went, oh, you're entitled too, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) But I I remember thinking, you know, none of us, I was just kind of, it was a reflective moment. None of us are like inoculated against this. When there's enough stress, we'll kind of think, that guy cut me off on the freeway. How dare he? Well, this is what happens. So we always have to be aware that even if we've got entitled people in our life, We've still got our own pocket entitlement, and that helps us to understand what they're dealing with as well. Well, I I would love to respond to that with my own story. 
as a military spouse, because I remember after probably both deployments, but especially after that first deployment, I had two small children. I was tired after a year of parenting and potty training and, <laughs> and navigating all the temper tantrums. And there was every part of me on the inside that wanted to just lovingly because I love my children, but lovingly throw them at my my son, my husband when he came home and say, you know, it's my turn. Right. It is my turn to be taken care of or to be doted on or to somebody send me a care package. Right. You know, like, um, and I know that that was in my own life and, and in my recent book that I was trying to be very vulnerable about and just really process the resentment that was coming up in me that I pushed down for so long. Um, that there was this just, I deserve attitude. So tell me what you found as far as how that entitlement can damage the relationships around you. Well, just think how you feel when you're around that and other people, you know, it's like they say, you can tell when you're at a party, when you're around a titled person, because the conversation goes like this. Uh, let's stop talking about me now. Let's talk about what you think about me now. Mm. I mean, that's, how do you have a conversation with a title person? Because they sort of can't get out of their own frame of reference. So it can make a, a person feel very lonely in a marriage. It can make a person feel like um, their opinion doesn't matter and their feelings don't matter. And, and as the research says, every good marriage is one where one person leaves their point of view and says, okay, tell me how you're feeling thinking here about this. And the other person leaves their point of view and says to the other person, tell me how you're thinking and feeling. And then things, things happen, good things happen. When you got entitlement, it never happens. It's always about that person's feelings. So you got that problem where you got entitled children, then you've got kids who, uh, you know, they, they don't play well, they don't cooperate, they can't function in teams. A lot of times they don't like to do homework because they tend to be lazy. And then we found out now, uh, with the with kids that are in college, they've been studying entitled kids. They can't uh, perform because they. This is very this very interesting and very helpful. They can't. They don't have any failure skills because they've been coddled so much that they're the most special person in the world. And you know, if, if they made a bad grade, the teacher was the teacher's fault. Now they get in college, and when they make a B or a C or a test, they flip out. They can't handle it. They feel like they're going to you know, uh, never make it in life. So they become very risk avoidant. And to have a good child who becomes a good adult, you got to have somebody who can handle risk and handle challenge and handle failure. So it's bad for that. And then it's also bad for organizations because an entitled workforce means I'll do the minimum. I'm a clock watcher. I don't really care about the mission of the, of the organization. I care more for about the breaks I get and the vacations I get. So in every sense of the word, it's destructive. What I'm hearing behind what you're saying is that difficulty plays a huge role in getting over entitlement. Oh, yeah. That's why the, the, um, the subtitle of the book is How to Do Things the Hard Way, because I believe that successful people do difficult things all the time as a matter of course. Anything from your workout schedule to getting out of yourself and helping your spouse when they're tired, even when you're tired, to you know working with your kids, to doing difficult things at work. Successful people just do hard things all the time, and then they have a better life. So I'm going to say something that might be somewhat controversial in the military culture, 
Um, but for the sake of processing it, we've had articles that have come out that have said that military spouses supposedly struggle with this entitlement, that we can sometimes go out there and expect discounts and freebies and, and things because of, you know, the sacrifice that the family has felt like they've given. But on the other hand, I've seen that military families ha really have learned how to embrace difficulty and really have had to say, you know what, I don't have any other choice but to get through this year and figure out how to navigate the children and the finances and whatever that might go wrong at home. And so I've also seen military families are extremely resilient and extremely able to handle difficulty in their life. And because of that are some of the most giving people that you'll ever find. Um, I really want to take this material and really apply it to marriage for a second. So when couples are trying to reconnect after they've been gone for a long time and they have that resentment, maybe that anger, that entitlement that's coming up that says, it's, it's my turn, me first. What is the best way for them to recognize that in themselves and reconnect in the marriage and not let the entitlement be destructive? Uh, to change it by saying, I need. Instead of it's my turn, just say, I need X. I mean, let's, let's use your illustration of, you know, you were burnt out and, and your husband came home and you thought, gosh, it'd be nice to, for him to take up the chores a little bit. You know, as a, a good husband, will, when you come home and you say, you mind if I take a few hours off and hang out with a friend or work out or whatever, I really need that because I miss you and everything and I'd love to reconnect, but I just need that. The word I need um, is a very, very connecting word as much, uh, much more than I deserve or it's my turn. That makes you, what it does is that I deserve and it's my turn makes a person feel like the relationship isn't really a relationship. It's just more of a transaction. It's like a contract, which is not what marriage is. Marriage is about love, not just this arrangement. So I need kind of goes, you know, I want to help you feel safe. And I want also want to make sure you've got your time and this sort of thing, but I need this. Most spouses will go, yeah. And then, um, maybe maybe tomorrow then I can have a few hours off that's how they work it out you so you use different wordings I read an article once that said that the start of disconnect that can lead to an emotional affair which can lead later to a physical affair that they traced it all the way back to the thoughts that go through our mind that can be entitlement type of thoughts things like I deserve better than this or I wish that my relationship was more like this or that. I mean, it was very I-centered of I want things to be different right now or I deserve for things to be different. So have you found that it can lead to that destruction or lead to couples breaking apart? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because what happens is the person on the other end who's around entitlement either gives up or is in a constant battle because they don't feel like there was anybody that cares about them. You see, the entitled person kind of sees the other person in the marriage as sort of a need-meeting unit. You're there to make me comfortable. You're there to make me happy. You're there to make me have peace. And we all want to give to our spouse, but we're not there just as a, as a, as a function. And entitled people make people say, I mean, husband and wife, they'll say, I feel like I'm an object around my spouse. I mean, they just want me there for getting chores done and taking care of kids and making me comfortable. And it doesn't feel like they want me for me. So, yeah, you got to get out of that, out of the transactional role into you're valuable to me just because I love you and I want a relationship with you. Intimacy and relationship helps to destroy entitlement. So one of the secrets to entitlement is being able to selflessly give. 
and be able to serve your other your spouse and and maybe not necessarily push your needs down and not express them but actually learn how to communicate them in a way that's loving and kind yeah and i'm and i'm the guy that wrote boundaries right so you're, you're supposed to selflessly give while t- still taking care of yourself at the same time nobody says that that a good spouse is a doormat or doesn't have a life or doesn't have their own needs but in a healthy marriage you're always you, you got to say, I got to make sure I'm, you know, I've got my me time and I, you know, I've got time to be with my friends or work out or whatever. But I also, as I'm getting my tank filled up, I really want to be generous to you too. And there's enough to go around. I think sometimes my concern for military spouses is that we sometimes swing on a pendulum of extremes that sometimes military spouses will not express their needs, not be vulnerable, not set any boundaries because they don't want to have conflict or disrupt the home or the connection that they so desperately want. And then what often happens is that it builds up inside with resentment, with exhaustion, stress, whatever else, probably isolation as well, to the point that you might have some military spouses that either implode or explode. And so I think that that's one of the bigger struggles that military spouses can run into is they don't want, they're afraid of causing conflict in their relationships and set asking for boundaries or setting boundaries or talking about entitlement their own or their spouse because they're afraid of the tension that might happen in the relationship. You know, I think one of the best things a couple can do is to talk about talking about, <laughs> to have a conversation about the conversation. For example, honey, um, and, and they always do this when the kids are down. It's a quiet time. You never do this in the middle of the chaos of the family, ever, ever. Honey, I, you know, I'm always into improving our marriage and stuff. And one thing I've noticed is that we don't disagree well. It seems to get really tense. And then I get afraid I'm upsetting you. So I sort of feel like we, we got a lot of walking on eggshells between us. And I, I feel like I'd like to know more if you disagree with me on something or if I disagree with you, that it's welcomed and, and helped. I do. I have a funny story about that. You got a second on Yeah, it? absolutely. All right. So in Barbie and my marriage, in our first few years of the, you know, kind of figuring out life and having kids and all that, um, we're, we're doing well, and it was, it was good. And, but at the same time, um, she came from a family of loving people, and they, um, they've given me permission to tell the story, so I'm not speaking out of school. Loving people, but they just sort of never disagree with each other in serious ways. Just very positive people. And then she marries Dr. Boundaries. What was she thinking? <laughs> so, you know, I would come in and it'd be something about money or kids or whatever. And I'd say, hey, this bugs me or I'm mad about this. And she would say, well, you don't love me. And I would go, whoa, sure. I mean, I totally love you. Why do you say that? And she'd say, well, it doesn't feel like it. And I said, well, that's not what I feel at all. I said, I, and I, I said, I got a problem here because we're going to be together, you know, for 50 plus years, I hope. And we got to tell the truth to each other when one of us irritates the other one, and I'm going to irritate you. So I put the question to her. I said, tell me how I can tell you the truth and you not feel like I don't love you because I don't, I want you to be able to feel that I'm your best cheerleader and I love you while I'm telling you the truth. And Barbie's a reflective person, and she thought, and she goes, reassure me. Reassure me that you care. And I said, okay, why will that help? And she says, well, when you're bugged or I'm bugged or whatever, it feels like, you know, we've got this, I've got this leader of good connection inside of me. Like it's this full leader, this great stuff called connection. And then when you're upset or we're upside down, it feels like somebody ripped the bottom off of that leader and it all just flushed out and I'm empty then. I can't even feel you anymore. I can't even tell you're there. And I don't like that. And I said, 
oh, so if I reassure you, maybe that helps. She goes, I think it will. So we went on a new habit. And so every time I was, and I'm not like Mr. Angry or anything. I'm just normal. Hey, let's talk about money or kids or whatever. And before I would do it, I would say, now, by the way, you know, you're it for me. And I'm so glad we're together. Um, your biggest cheerleader and all this. And we work it out. And it worked. And it we did really well. I'll never forget the day that I had something I didn't want to deal with. And I walked in the living room. She was there with one of the kids. And I said, by the way, you know, you're so it for me. And I'm so glad. And she stopped me in the middle. She goes, just get to it. <laughs> now, now, let me interpret just get to it. What she was saying was, you know, we've done a lot of work on filling up that bottom of that of that leader. And we've done enough of this that I know that you love me and I can handle it now. And so you don't have to do that anymore. And it was fine. Some people might say, well, I need to reassure. Some people might say, I need to know that you'll admit that you're part of this. Some people say, I need to be specific. Some people say, I need you not to do it when I'm under stress. I mean, everybody kind of has their thing that triggers them so they get defensive. You gotta say, you, I can't read your mind. Tell me what you need so I can tell you the truth. And then they kind of scratch their head and they go, uh, use a nice voice or don't yell or whatever. And then you're in the same page. Is there anything else that you would apply to these difficult conversations that military families need to have about some of the separate experiences that they have, especially if there's been a traumatic experience that's happened for a soldier that's difficult for them to talk about? You know, a lot of a lot of people come home and they try to reconnect, but they don't have these really important conversations and these couples feel disconnected. Um, have you found that there's any better way to have these tough conversations about, honey, what's going on? Why is it that you won't talk to me about what you're wrestling with? I have. Um, one thing I have found is that when the person, I mean, you just be direct about it and say, you've had, you've had some situations that I feel so bad about that there probably aren't words for. And I'd love to hear about them because I love you and I want to know everything about you. And a spouse might go, okay, it's going to be hard. That's okay. I can handle it. And you do it. Well, then a spouse goes, well, I don't want to overwhelm you. You shouldn't. I don't want to discourage you. Then you go, now I'm a grown-up. And I, I would rather hear bad stuff as a teammate of yours than you treat me like, you know, I'm fragile. And then I've lost a part of you and I don't really know you. So I can handle it. It won't be easy, but I can handle it. And I think it might help you. And the person goes, okay. Or the person goes, never. I don't want to do it. I never will do it. Which, as, as you know, for, as well as I do, the research says they they'll have a tendency toward depression, alcoholism, um, anxiety, these sorts of things that they keep it in. And then the spouse should say, well, anytime you want to talk about it, I'm there. But even if you never want to tell me, I'm concerned because of all the massive amounts of research about our military that for what you've experienced, um, nobody is able to like handle this and go through life without speaking to it. So if you won't speak to me, can we go get a therapist for it um, just for the family's sake? Now, a lot of times a person will go, okay, I'll do that. And so what happens if they refuse to go? Then you go to, all right, if you don't want to see a shrink on your own, would you go to marital counseling with me? Because I'm overwhelmed and I'm scared that you're going to be hurt and you're not going to be okay and you're going to get worse. And so, but we'll go as a couple. And then, all right, now, now it's your, your turn to say, well, what if they won't do that either, right? Right. Okay. And then the spouse goes, okay, well, then I'm going to counseling to talk about you and me. I'd like for you to be there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
But if you won't be there, I'll just go to marital counseling by myself and talk about my marriage because I need skills. I need help. I need to know how to handle a person who might be a trigger for a time bomb that I love if you won't get any help. And a lot of times they'll go, well, okay, I'll go. I don't want you to talk about me without me there. Exactly. I, then, I've found so, that a couple of times that, that a lot of them will come because they really want to know what you're saying about them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's this, there's this conversation about me. Maybe I should show up. And then there's those say, you can go and do whatever. But, but what happens is a good therapist will be able to say, okay, Sam or Sally's not there, but here's what you need to do. And they'll help you to, they'll help you to love that person. They'll help you to set the appropriate boundaries of that person. And here's the big point. A good therapist with a, a spouse that's in denial of the issue will help the spouse that's not in denial to help the spouse that's in denial to feel the consequences of not getting help and not rescuing them from that so that they feel the pain enough to get the help. Now, that was a mouthful. I'm sure I garble it up. But they will help them not to rescue, not to enable, not to be codependent, to love them, but to allow the pain they need to feel from not getting help until they finally go, I'm miserable, I'll go get help. That's what a good therapist does in those cases. I think that's a huge segue into the, the wonderful help behind your books that you've written. Would that give some very specific principles on how um, you can set healthy boundaries, how you can keep yourself from enabling, how you can keep yourself from rescuing your spouse, how you can learn how to set healthy boundaries for yourself. I also love the fact that the entitlement is such a huge issue for any of us of just managing our own selfishness and paying attention to this I deserve mentality that you said even we can find pockets of that in our own life. There's a lot of Christians out there that would fear setting boundaries, feeling like it's mean or that it's wrong, um, that it's not it doesn't feel loving. Um, so what would you say to a lot of those that have a relationship with God out there that want to have good, strong, healthy marriages, that boundaries are actually healthy, even though they might feel mean? Well, a um, couple of things. One is uh, I would encourage that person to read the book. Um, there have been, it's about sold maybe somewhere between two and three million copies yet so far. And um, it has Henry Cloud and I put about 300 Bible verses in that book to prove that the Bible supports boundaries. So that's an easy answer is just go read the book. It's been proven over and over again biblically that it's a good thing. Secondly, a Christian does believe the Bible. And so here's just some ideas. Hey, let me just throw some boundary verses out to the listening audience to, to think about because everybody was concerned. They don't want to be mean or selfish and this sort of thing. Okay, Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart for from it flow the wellsprings of life. I've got to guard my heart, which means I've got to take responsibility for my feelings. And if somebody's being mean or kind or abandoning me, I gotta say, ouch, that doesn't help. I've got to guard my heart. If I don't guard my heart, I lose everything. Uh, Galatians 6, whatever a person should sow, they should also reap. You gotta let people reap what they sow. Um, Jesus said, in one statement, he said, uh, sometimes you got to shake the dust off your sandals in relationships. Or you go to Proverbs where it says, the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. Or you go to Matthew where Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. This is all about telling the truth and having consequences in a healthy way. 
of the things that I also tell people is that God has boundaries too. God has very clear lines of rules of what what he will allow and what he won't entertain and that he allows us to experience experience the consequences of the choices that we make. And that um, scripture is very clear about the boundaries that he sets with us as well. And that enables us to have a wonderful free relationship with him that is very intimate and very loving and that makes us a better person for it. Dr. Townsend, I just want to thank you again for your time today, for your wisdom, for the calling that you have on your life to share that wisdom in the ways that you have through the books that you've written. The books, again, are the Boundaries series. I know for sure they're in all over Amazon and um, Barnes and Noble. I mean, you can pretty much find them anywhere. The Entitlement Cure is out now. I thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. Especially, I know it's going to help a lot of our military families out there to protect their marriages and make sure that they're strong and secure. So thanks again. Well, Corey, thank you. And, and just a shout out to all of our the people in the military service world. Um, you guys are doing things for our country that um, everybody who really thinks about these things appreciates. I've just appreciated everything you guys do, what you do, the sacrifices you made, and uh, well done. We'd love to be a resource to you. Would you like to send in a shout out and have it included on the Life Giver podcast? Anyone, civilian or military, can thank a military spouse who has made a difference in your life or say thank you to a service member for working hard on your marriage. Record your shout out by using your voice memo app available on your device and email it to Corey at CoreyWeathers.com or call in and leave a voicemail shout out to 706 706- Four three one seven two two two, and we will do our best to include it in future podcasts.